You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Hi there, and welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. It's Friday, February 18th, 2022. I'm Maggie Lake here with Christian Alexander of MacroLink. Hi, Christian. It's great to see you again. Likewise. How are you? I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay considering what's been going on. It's been kind of brutal to, to watch the action uh, in the equity market over the last couple of weeks, and we saw selling off into the close once again, heading into what's a long holiday weekend here in the U.S. Um, the S&P looks like it's going to settle down about uh, three quarters of a percent. The Nasdaq off 1.23 percent. Uh, we saw the 10-year kind of hovering about 1.92, uh, and crypto down as well. Um, you know, it's so great to have you here on a Friday. We've seen so much volatility, Christian. And I know you talk to, um, through your work, the, the biggest names in the hedge fund universe all the time. What's top of mind for managers as they kind of sift through what's been a really volatile start to the year? You know, I think it's interesting. Um, you know, in, in this space where I, you know, exist, it had seemed to me that you know, typically market volatility and or especially markets selling off does not lead to increased interest in hiring people. And so what has been particularly countercyclical is that the headhunting space has really picked up. Um, it, it's usually busy in December and January. It was dead in December and January. And then all of a sudden in February, things have really blossomed, which is not a time of year people typically do headhunting. And then you know you look at the um, the investment tape, and I thought this is this is weird. And so what it really is telling me is like a good part of the population are making some money, especially kind of the macro funds, mm-hmm. um, you know, which have been existing in an environment devoid of volatility, which typically make money when things um, go down and have found this to be kind of a, you know, maybe a, you know, a, a fertile habitat for them to do stuff. Um, and, you know, my hunches in hedge fund returns look pretty good in January across the board. Mm. So... I think it's been an oddly interesting time for professional investors. Um, and then as you, you know, the one thing you mentioned that, that stood out to me, which is the, the pattern of market on closed selling is a, is a typical indication of mutual fund capitulation, which means like mom and pop in, in Boise, Idaho have been pitching their mutual funds likely. And that's setting up familiar patterns that haven't existed for five, six, seven years for hedge fund managers who typically make money from these sorts of uh, circumstances. Yeah, I mean, it's a good point. It's a painful one, though, isn't it? You know, when you see the sort of, you know, the retail investor, the mom and pop getting kind of killed or, or, or taking it on the chin. Um, that's that, that never sort of goes down well, especially in the world of politics. Um, we're we're going to get to that in a second. I'm, I'm interested, though, we're, you know, I think somebody went back and checked the tape. We talked in, I think it was November, and um, yeah. we were talking about inflation and the, the prospect mm-hmm. of, you know, it being stickier. Um, and we've certainly seen that play out. Um, three years ago, if we go back, uh, you, we were on Real Vision talking about the hedge fund outlook in the era of easy money. You know, now we've got the potential end of easy money, higher interest rates, inflation that there's still debate about it, but it certainly looks like it's going to be a lot higher yep. for a lot longer. Um, you know, 
What, what's the outlook for the hedge fund industry and for sort of what is the smart money doing around that kind of scenario? You know, uh, to be honest, I think the smart money, you know, there there's an awareness that inflation is a real issue. And then there are formats to trade inflation as a product. And there's certainly like in the like there's certainly interest in the basis rates RV and inflation as strategies among hedge funds, which tells me this is strategically where people want to be positioned. And that's a place that you want to be if you see a strategic shift in inflation. And then the other thing that that sort of kind of corroborates the thinking and also what you're asking is it, how strong growth has been against a backdrop of successively high inflation prints, which then tells me really, if you're worried about inflation expectations, those are embedded now because people haven't curbed their spending habits, which tells me they have taken on board inflation. Mm. You know, if if you don't expect inflation and you you experience sticker shock, you don't purchase the product. But that and that growth is, you know, has continued to cycle forward at such a rate tells me that people have taken on board the expectation of like the current rate of exp of, of inflation, um, which means the, you know, and this is what we talked about last time, but which means that the the expectations game has been conceded at this point. Well, that's certainly, you know, that's certainly what the Fed is hoping to get a handle on what happens and how we respond. I think there's some divide about that. Hey, everyone, we're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-ads.com. Larry McDonald sat down with David Ihorn, uh, Ihorn for a wide-ranging interview, including his thoughts on Fed policy and inflation. Let's listen to a clip of that. The way the economy may slow is that they tighten financial conditions enough that it has a meaningful impact on, say, the stock market. And I know they're very aware of that. So it's kind of hard to say that you know, that, that if they raise rates a bunch of times, if the stock market doesn't go down that much, it may not cause that much incremental slowing to, to, the, um, to the economy, which would then give them the license to continue raising rates the way, you know, the way the market is pricing in, or, or even more so if the inflation comes in. On the other hand, if they're concerned about asset values, and, and I believe they are, I, I don't believe they're concerned at this level, but at some level, I believe they would become quite concerned. Um, you know, if they begin hiking rates and then the stock market kind of goes down a whole bunch, well, that, that might cause them to, at some point, decide that they need to choose between a, a bigger slowdown from, from the market going down versus fighting the inflation, which may not be thwarted um, at all, or, 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 or substantially, unless they're able to, you know, have a, a, a real demand shock where, where demand goes down a lot, which is, which is code for a, you know, a real recession. And that interview is full interview is available on Essential Plus and Pro Tiers on our website. It's so interesting, isn't it, Christian, that there, there is a divide, but I guess as long as there's not consensus, there's opportunity uh, and, and opportunity for more active management uh, for a change, if things are not all going in one direction, you think that's tied to why you're seeing the, the hiring in a, in a season that you don't normally? 
I mean, I, I think it's, it's tied to the fact that uncertainty has led to positive returns for people who thrive on uncertainty and their opinions about these uncertain times have been confirmed by profits. And that leads people to double down. And, you know, the, the most illiquid asset in the marketplace is, is human capital. It's hard to hire. It's twice as hard to fire. And so, you know, the last thing, the first thing you pitch are assets. The second thing you pitch are people. The third thing you pitch is property. Um, so, uh, and then on, with respect to what David was saying uh, on the, in the earlier clip, I think there's, there's, there's interesting meat there because what, what he describes to me is uh, landing a, it's landing a fighter jet on the deck of an aircraft carrier amid a storm. And it's like, you got to get a lot of things right to go through the eye of the needle, plus to hit the top of the deck and to catch the ball and not to get blown off the deck by the wind. And, you know, confidence and markets have a funny way of transforming virality into reality very quickly. And if the Fed loses control of that and asset prices become a shock, they get trapped in this whole kind of um, double universe where it's like, okay, we said we're not going to have a Fed put, and we said we're going to tighten, but we kind of need to have a Fed put because if things go down too much, it has like you know recourse or consequence on the real economy. And balancing all of that is like a fourth dimensional chess challenge that it's going to be tricky. Yeah, and 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 you know, <laughs> there seems to be a lot of ag agreement. The Fed not particularly set up for for that. Uh, you know, in, in this modern environment. You mentioned the fact that there have been a lot of profits and, you know, that's been confirming the fact that people do well in uncertainty. One place that has not been happening is Kat, with Kathy Wood and the ARC funds. I mean, that is just, has just been a brutal ride for her. She was out publicly speaking this week, defending her position, defending her thesis, um, you know, about uh, the macro trend she really believes in and, you know, making some really bold statements saying, um, what, that this is the most massive misallocation of capital in the history of mankind. Um, and yet we continue to see her holdings get beaten down. I think Roku was the latest today, down 26 percent. Does she, you know, we, we've sort of seen this play out before. Does, do you think she's able to survive this, even if she's right about her thesis? You know, I have less of a view on whether she can survive it and more of a view on her behavior. Mm -hmm. And my view on her behavior is there becomes a point in time in a scenario where you have become so closely associated to something that it becomes part of your identity. And when it becomes part of your identity, people will defend things into infinity. And then beyond that, the marketplace is showing by its selective pressure on her positions that they think she's vulnerable they collectively as the invisible hand think she's vulnerable. So then you have a much bigger than Kathy Wood selective attack on the positions she holds. You have a personality that's willing to, if you, you know, if triple down equals a wipeout, you would subtuple down every time. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the dynamics are there for a not great ending her behavior into this, not knowing a thing about what she holds suggests to me that she's married to her point of view because it's too big to fail for her. Mm. And the attack on Roku, if if that comes out of the blue only for the fact that it's something she holds, tells me that people have figured out that, okay, you know, she's uh, she's weak. She's not using a right hand for a reason. Let's attack the left. Yeah.
Right. I think some of the stocks are getting swept up in their earnings, but but there yep. clearly is there clearly is a, a target Wood on her. The Roku thing, right? And but but there's clearly you know uh, I mean there are funds now set up to sort of short what she holds. You know there's clearly oh, wow, a okay. lot of yeah. attention and you know I, I think a target on her, um, but maybe yep. because people don't believe her thesis. But you know um, just it, yeah. you know with withdrawals be, you know, and the dynamic yeah. of what goes on in hedge funds, I just wonder if. You know, we've seen this before in any way where somebody can get taken out, even if ultimately sure. I mean, we they saw were right. With like, you know, with with you know, like take a look at it. You know, a Nouriel Roubini or John Paulson or um, who is the one? I forget his name, but like, there's there were three or four funds that made an extraordinary fortune around kind of the big short time frame, mm. and the preponderance of them didn't really successfully make money thereafter. And we're so married to the point of view about mortgages and the decline of the economy and everything that went with it, that they couldn't unwind it, even after having these extraordinary gains. And, you know, if she's had an extraordinary gain and she's overly married to that point of point of view, it's nothing to do about her. It's more of a sort of the human psychology that leads people to really kind of cherish the thing that made them rich and the mm -hmm. identity that it brought and all the trappings and accoutrements that go with that. Um, it's hard, you know, yeah. like, and it's hard to publicly be wrong. And if you've already kind of doubled down on it, do, you know, when do you throw, when do you actually back off on it? And if it's already going to cost you a lot, then why not more? And yeah, it, it, those, the, the psychology of those things are tricky. And my intuition is that the people that are shorting this, it's less about the actual specifics of what she holds and more about the dynamics of the situation. Yeah. No, good point. It, it does feel like that, because I think there are a lot of people looking at the declines who might agree with her thesis, thinking, is this the time to buy? But then there's hesitation because there seems to be this other layer on top yeah. of that, which yeah, I think if, is- If there was a time to buy, it's when all of that dynamic is over and it reverts back to being about what the companies are about. And there's no more spy versus spy subterfuge of like yeah. Kathy versus the anti-Kathy crowd. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, we have a question uh, on the exchange from Ralph asking, do you anticipate a lot of hedge fund M&A this year? Not particularly, only because it's not a space I've heard much about. But, you know, I might not have heard about it if people weren't looking to hire an M&A expert to come to their hedge fund to do it. Mm. Yeah. You know, if if markets get beaten up and we have a you know, 20, 30% sell-off, you know, yes, M&A and distressed and all of the um, transactions of opportunity become kind of more interesting to opportunistic hedge funds. Yeah. Where, where do you, where, where are people hiring? What kind of, what kind of experts are, can you, can you make any connection so there's, to the there's part a tremendous of the amount of demand in basis rates, RV, cross currency basis, inflation, all of the zones that orbit around interest rates, interest rate volatility, um, spreads, curves, um, relative value, and all that stuff is driven by in, by interest rate volatility, and all that's driven by inflation. So, you know, that, go, that goes back to your early point where I'm like, oh, people are very eager to make very structural moves in a space that um, speaks to a sustained pattern of forward inflation in the investing space. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's where I see. Yeah. And, you know, that, I, there, that's where I am seeing a sustained amount of interest and an unusual interest. Yeah. I.e. places that I didn't expect to call me that are asking about this stuff. Yeah. 
Well, it makes, I guess it makes sense if we're looking at it, you know, really for the first time in a very long time, countries also moving at different paces, right? Whether they're yep. ra raising rates at different paces or in the case of, um, you know, if you span global, the, the developed world raising China, cutting or looking to support its economy, there's a lot going on that is not synchronous right now. Um, so not surprising, perhaps, to find them looking for opportunity. want to ask you about... Um, a headline that crossed, um, and we talked about it really briefly before we came on air, because I was away for a couple of days and heard this quick headline and thought, oh, wait a minute, what's that? Um, and, and it's something that's crossed your radar, too, that maybe not a lot of people are paying attention to. Um, it was a, There's a headline on Bloomberg about it, but not a whole lot else. Morgan Stanley relationships on Wall Street uh, are snared in a probe, the DOJ looking into some trading activity. You know, what do you know about this and and how problematic could this be? On the surface does not seem like a good headline. Yeah, look, I don't know anything concrete about it other than to me it indicates interest in an area where significant profits have been booked in the last year and um and it's a it's a habitat where um it's a by occupational definition a dangerous place to operate, i.e. if you work on the capital markets desk at a major investment bank, um, it's probably the most sensitive job in the place. It's like handling nuclear material. The best you can do is don't get radioactive poisoning. Um, and then it's a space that's been super busy. So then there's been a lot of handling of radioactive material. And then in these things, it's kind of like mixed martial arts in that it's a little bit of legal, it's a little bit of political, it's a little bit of um, commercial, and it's a little bit of public relations. And so, you know, that an investigator has been asked to look at something doesn't necessarily mean they have to find specific dead to rights violations of law. It just needs to look bad. And then you have an environment where lots of people have made money and there's scope for things to look bad. And I'm like, oh, that's, you know, it, it, it gave me that same unsettling feeling that that doesn't look good. It probably has more bad news to bear for banks, even if it doesn't lead to harmful consequences for individuals, which I certainly don't want to happen. But if that's the end outgrowth of it, or even if not, there's big bad headline risk here for banks. And it also tells me regulators are focused on this area where they're thinking in their mind they're likely to hit pay dirt because people made money last year doing this. And all we need is some emails and text messages and phone call patterns that look crummy to make a case. And careers are made on making cases. Mm. I don't I don't love the setup. So I'm like, okay, this is what's been making money for for banks for the last, you know, ever since 2008 when the hedge funds were pulled out of the sales and trading desks. If the profit center for banks has been investment banking practices, and if the regulators are now making a big run in investment banking practices, and that's been a place where hedge funds have been able to make money in significant numbers for the last, or you know, the ones that are focused on it have had big numbers for the last couple of years, all that looks like a super dry, super aged forest that has like a medium sized fire right now. But those yeah. have a funny way of getting real big and real hot. Yeah, good good analogy. Um, and and the risk, the headline risk would 
not just be to hedge funds, but to the investment banks. I mean, that these are, you know, this is an area that people have been looking to rotate into and in potentially in a rising interest rate environment. Or, you know, if this guy at Morgan Stanley has been communicating with this many clients, and if they see that the client's communication isn't proper, if if anything more comes of it than the limited scope that it's in, which is broker one and clients one, two, three, four, five, if that then involves broker two, three, and four, which it probably does if it's made it this far. I don't like the implication for the brokerage industry in the sense that this is a, you know, now you have the regulators after five years of dormancy coming back to life to focus on hitting these guys up for some fines and whatever in the profit center that that, that is current, whatever the motives. If that suddenly becomes like a successful strategy. It's a signal to investors and banks that, hey, no matter how you like it, the regulatory and political apparatus are gonna come around to whatever profit center every five years and show up to investigate. And if they do, all they need to do is find stuff that looks crummy, which I fear they might. You know, if anybody read my emails, it would look crummy, but I'm not important enough. Yeah, no, and that's, you know, that that has got to be something that's on your radar if you are, yeah exposed to the financial sector that it's going to be a story that you continue to watch and we certainly will um and then also it splashes back to the hedge fund sector too because like if this is a place where hedge funds have been making money and they've been in a two-step square dance with the investment banks then it's not good for hedge funds either and then it has a liquidity story that goes with it and then then we tap into the secondary tertiary and whatever is the fourth tertiary thing yeah and my my concern is always when when these things rumble in the background and you have volatility and you have geopolitical issues and it's always a it's always a confluence of things that are coming from unexpected areas that have the potential to cause trouble so again another reason to to bear watching that um you know i think we, you know to take a break from that sort of heavy heavy story that we're not going to all worry about fret about I'll eagle-eyed Oliver on the exchange asks, is that the college shirt from the movie Animal House? <laughs> yes, it is. Ding, ding, ding. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. You got it, Oliver. <laughs> Obviously, you're Oliver, a send your address and I'll send you one. <laughs> there you go. Drop True it story. in the exchange or, or you could uh, contact Christian and, and you'll land a shirt. I love it. Some free giveaways. We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. We we also have a question asking about, because we have been talking about inflation, Dan Johnson on the exchange asking about thoughts on the housing market. You know, we, we had some we had some hot looking numbers again today. Um, and, you know, this is one of the, the, the areas of um, inflation that worries people because, you know, you don't you, you can't sort of, you know, turn around. Not, everyone's not moving, you know, every three months um, if this even if it starts to ebb down, you know, they tend to be sticky, whether you're talking about rent or whether you're talking about home prices. Um, and we did have we did have some big moves. Today. I think home prices up 15 percent. Home sales were up strongly again. Uh, is this an area that you worry about and you think is going to sort of feed into this longer term inflation story, Christian? I mean, it, it certainly feeds into the short term inflation story in the sense that it pushes up rents. 
And so if your price of like, if a used auto is, you know, uh, if, you, if you buy a two-year-old auto and it's got 20,000 miles on it and that costs you at a premium to what it sold off the lot in 2019, if gas prices are up 50, 60, 70%, and if rents are up 40, 50%, then your cost of living is up 40, 50%. And so in a short term, yes, absolutely. Um, in an intermediate term, this is the way kind of I see it. Whenever there's stress in illiquid or whenever there's stress in intangible liquid asset markets, i.e. stocks and bonds, which are things that you buy and sell, but you can't touch and they're highly liquid, there's a natural human instinct to seek out brick and mortar security, mm -hmm. i.e. it's much better to buy the home next door and rent that to college students. That feels safer because I can see it and it's not in the hands of Wall Street guys and Morgan Stanley and the deal and all this stuff, whatever. It's over there. I can knock on the door and that. So um, that just, I think, is a, you know, when you have a retrenchment away from liquid asset security markets and intangible asset security markets, there's a native human impulse among the, you know, because like I had used this as a general, but like the Des Moines, Idaho crowd or whatever, you know, people who are not necessarily financial professionals live in not necessarily the coasts to, to go to real estate. Mm -hmm. And it, it, it really happened. Like if you go look back and look at the dot-com, when the dot-com bubble burst, there was a huge influx into real estate. And I, and I personally, like I, the reason I came to this point of view is I personally witnessed it with my mom. Who, who was out purchasing property and taking money out of her savings account, or not savings, but her uh, 401k, and buying homes. And, and it was all successful and went great, and I'm not being critical, but like I could see the psychology play out firsthand through somebody that I'm very close to. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's something people understand, unlike yes. a lot of the parts of the market that we're currently talking about. There's lots which... of us, I don't understand. I've been doing this for like, since you know, the mid-90s. <laughs> and that's why we love your honesty, Christian. Um, there, the question from John on the exchange, um, and this is interesting. Is there concern about a lack of short sellers given the meme blowback? You know, I, I hadn't thought about it, but that's an interesting thought. Um, you know, it's a super interesting thought. And, you know, and even that, the meme blowback is kind of a, you know, it's another spy versus spy in a socio-political environment, which is, you know, you kind of have the super powerful, i.e. Elon Musk, harnessing the power of the meme to mm. the benefit of his companies. And then you have the game stock population, which really are not wealthy people, but there's a groundswell anti-establishment vibe there. But then they also have done, you know, harm to the rich who have power and influence. And then, but then again, the masses have power and influence too. So it's, 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 it's muddy. It's muddy. It's, it's that fascinating one, that though. It's fascinating. Super, it's, 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 that's a super fascinating topic. Yeah. Is like you can see where cults of personality have totally marshaled this space. Mm. And and Elon Musk is the genius of that whole thing. Yeah. You know, with his backing of sheep and his interest in all these kinds of meme-oriented ideas mm. that has brought a ton of attention to him as a pied paper of meme things, which has benefited the share prices of stuff that he's in control of. Yeah. He's a genius. It's genius, and maybe just the beginning. I always, I always have, uh, and I may be wrong about this, but I always ha have issue with calling them meme stocks because it doesn't sound serious. And I think this is the beginning of the tapping of something that's going to be a generational shift and super interesting in terms of you it's know shorthand where... for saying that virality matters in stock markets and that yeah. communication channels that used to be primary, i.e., brokers calling people and telling them about stocks and all mm -hmm. that stuff, is Twitter now, and it's available to people who are far more tech savvy than. Yeah. I am. <laughs>
<laughs> it's hilarious. <laughs> I can't even, I, I, I'm used to being able to go toe to toe with, with that, but I, you, you just outdid me. I don't even have anything that looks remotely that old sitting in front of me. Yep. Uh, yeah, I, I think that there's a, there's a, a very broad underestimation of, of that, that community as well, which I think people are, will do um, to their, at their peril. But, you know, there's you know, a spree... I, it took me, it took me months, weeks, and years and hours to understand what happened with GameStop. And yeah. I, and I spent, I gave it a very serious, dispassionate, and almost professorial uh, or investigative journalistic take because I genuinely, without really having any interest in or a horse in the race, like our mm -hmm. dog in the race, I don't care who won or lost. I just wondered why it happened and what happened. Yeah. And what the whole Reddit thing, um, that it was really kind of the first event of super virality causing massive disruption in stock markets. Mm. And that's why so many people were perplexed because it is an event unlike anything we've ever seen, but to the Gen Z or whatever the youngers are, they, they were born with an iPhone in their hand. And to them, that's a natural extension of communication. To me, it's an annoyance. And that's why I have a flip phone. Yeah. And community. Right. There's a there's in, in a, that and, sense, and the power you know, of community. Yeah. I'm here in the studio because community to me is like in person. <laughs> I know. Well, one day to all of us again, too. There was a there was a uh, quickly a story on uh, out as well, kicking around um, about uh, the, this sort of race to launch ETFs that bet on single stocks like Tesla uh, or Meta. Um, have you been hearing about, you know, growth or interest in that area? What do you make of that? Is that, is that a response to the, the sort of enthusiasm we saw? Uh, yeah, I don't know what, what problem does it solve? Like it means that the thousand dollar stock is now a $25 stock and you can buy 50 shares of it instead of one share of it or something. I don't know. Like, yeah, I mean, my, the most interesting thing I've heard about meta is how outraged like the Twitter community has been about the fact that they're going to call people that are employees of Facebook meta, meta amigos or something. <laughs> meta mates. Like meta, that's meta. Just, it just keeps getting worse. It just keeps. It, it does keep getting worse. Like the puke yeah. worthiness of it. Like forget cringe worthiness. Yeah. It's like, yeah. it's like um, you guys need to get somebody that has some taste in there to stop, like tell you guys to stop saying stupid things and your stock will stop, your stock will stop yeah. going down. Yeah, maybe, maybe that's, maybe that's what's going on. Um, well, I mean, come on. Like it's, it's not positive attention. And in the world of virality, you're getting negative attention for your corny ideas about what you're doing. <laughs> That's not good. Um, uh, question here: What three things do you find most interesting in the world and the markets right now? It's a really broad one, but an interesting one. Um, you know, you you actually hit on it earlier. I think the Ukraine situation touches on two things. Um, one, it touches on the American declinism and the risk that American military hegemony will continue to come under challenge, whether that's in Taiwan, where if the Chinese decided to act. Our global military superiority, which has been based on um, aircraft carriers, is out the window because they have an aircraft carrier seeking missile that blows them out of the water. And so then we wouldn't really do that good if we showed up out there. Mm -hmm. um, and second, we're not in a financial or moral position to be lording over the world in the way that we have historically. And that even if this is a bad decision for Putin, he can go ahead and elect to do it. That speaks to kind of American premacy in the world. Mm -hmm. The second is, um, if the media has become a thoroughly politicized organization that promotes propaganda, which I believe it is, whether you like the propaganda or don't, I take it as a stipulated fact that most of what we read in the media is propaganda. Why do I believe what I read about the Ukraine is a fact? 
Is mm-hmm. Russia the aggressor? I don't know. Is the Ukraine aggressing? I don't know. Is it even happening? It could be wag the dog for all I know. Yeah. Which is a, so that, an alarming, yeah, an alarming kind of headspace to be that's in. That's a lot but... to take on board. And you don't have to be a conspiracy theorist wacko to think like, I, you know, that I, it's hard to figure out and I don't like it. So that's one. Um, two is the risk of inflation, which we've, we've talked about. And the fact that to me, the really, uh, the, the distinctively outsized growth numbers against a backdrop of continuous inflation prints reads the public has been totally socialized to inflation. They've not adjusted their spending patterns. They're used to this. That tells me inflation expectations are gone. You know, when you're water skiing, can you ever catch the rope if you let go of it? And that's kind of what the Fed's hoping to do with inflation expectations. Like that thing's gone. Mm -hmm. And then the last is, you know, just all of the luxuries and expectations and things we take certain or uncertain. Wow, you know, that's a very so many philosophical things... way to end, <laughs> to end the show. But yeah. what, what do you mean by that? Um, if I look in the bike lane, I see people riding e-bikes at 700 miles an hour. Those are not um, e-bikes. Those are uh, motor vehicles, i.e. motorcycles. The fact that they have pedals is, inc- is incidental. Um, and there's nobody really regulating that environment, which just tells me there's not any law in that environment. And so something that I expect, i.e. the green stripe on the ground tells me that bicycles go here is full of motorcycles, just tells me that like there's a lot of things I might not expect that are happening in the world. Um, and everything from inflation you know, to the Russians saying, hey, you guys, we don't care about you. We're going to go ahead and do whatever we want. And by the way, our decision to do it or don't do it is totally independent of how you feel. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a bit, there's, there's a, I think we're, we're entering an environment where the unexpected is the expected, including the stuff you never expected. Yeah. Which, which might also help uh, explain the sort of undercurrent of volatility we've seen in the market. Christian, great conversation, great thoughts, and, and so good to hear from somebody who's sort of talking to a lot of people that we don't get to hear from. So thanks for sort of, you know, bringing us the vibe of, of what you're picking up out there. We appreciate it. Those are, those are my opinions, but that's what I've, you know, the opinions of what I've heard. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, Thanks. Great to see you. And we're going to see you again soon. And thanks to all of you for watching. We will be observing the President's Day holiday, President's Day holiday here on Monday, but we'll see you again for the daily briefing on Tuesday. As always, the conversation continues on the exchange. Have a great weekend, everyone. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, Head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.